0: This evening. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Frank for loosening up the crowd here, you know. (laughs) And I certainly would like to thank the committee for inviting Juanita and I up to share our strength, hope, and experience with you, and thank Bill for calling me. And uh, uh, Wally had done a tremendous job of taking care of us this afternoon, and uh, uh, he was telling us about what all was going on up here. And uh, we walked into the lobby and introduced him to the sponsor, and he just completely changed, you know, in front of the sponsor. <clears throat> you know, I had uh, some time in knowing I was going to be up here, and I prepared a, a real powerful speech that I was going to deliver today. And uh, thank God I didn't bring it, uh, because I could see it. apparently with a light up here, nobody can read anyway. So, uh, but about a week ago, I found out that my sponsor and his wife, Tom and Sonny Mloy, was going to be up here. So I thought, well, I better not deliver that powerful speech. I better just give you my a talk and tell you what really happened and what really happened is uh, I had a problem with a mother-in-law and a wife and if it hadn't been for them I, I wouldn't have drank. It really wasn't. Uh, you know I, I don't know I don't know when I'll become an alcoholic it's, it's really not important uh, and I took my first drink when I was about eight years old and a cousin of mine got me to siphon some wine out of a a barrel and I, I got drunk and I don't remember much about that it didn't turn a light on for me that uh, I was going to drink or uh, I never said I'm not ever going to drink again uh, but I found at the time I was in high school a freshman in high school I was already drinking when I was a sophomore we was taking beer to school and uh, I tell you I wanted to tell you this because this thing that happened to me there kind of set a pattern in my life. We used to take us beer to school, and we'd take it down in the boiler room. And we drank down there with the janitor every day, four or five of us boys. We was playing sports. and The principal walked in one day down there and called us drinking. We were taking up the office, and we were reprimanded for this. Uh, but we got out of it very easily because we was playing sports. And But you know, that janitor got fired that day. He lost his job. And I, I guess I was already an alcoholic this time because I picked up on that right away. And I knew it was his fault this happened and you know for the next 15 to 18 years anytime that my drinking caused problems get people begin to point the finger at me I always had the ability to be able to turn that situation around and blame somebody else it wasn't my fault and uh, I met the uh, girl that I eventually married and well we actually met in grade school but then I met her later on in high school and we began to date a little bit and uh uh she tried to tell me about my drinking problem. I was 17 years old, and she told me when I drank a bottle of beer, it changed my personality. And I told her she was nuts. It didn't change my personality. She's the one that changed. And and I guess we was both right, because uh, it, it did change, and she changed. Uh, when I was, uh, I think, 20 years old, well first one, it had said many, many times that uh, she'd never marry anybody who drank like I did. And... Uh, she had an uncle who was an alcoholic and she'd seen what had happened in his life and I think she was trying to tell me what was going to happen in my life and and we dated all through high school, off and on Uh, and I gave her an engagement ring one night or tried to give her an engagement ring and she said, no, I won't accept this she said, I've told you, you drank too much and I would never marry anybody who drank like this and I said, do you think that after we're married and I have responsibility that I'll drink like this and... I guess she believed me, and, 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 the, and the baffling thing about this is I believe me too. I really thought responsibility would keep me from drinking. I had no idea that after we were married and the children come along that I would drink. I thought responsibility would keep me from drinking. But I'll assure you tonight, responsibility will not keep this alcoholic from drinking. We got married, we had seven children, and one of them was pregnant with the eighth child, and I' was still drinking. And to me, that's a little bit of responsibility. I don't know how you feel about it. but uh, and, you know, When I was drinking, this was a responsibility that I hated each and every day. I had to get up. I had to go to work. I had to earn some money to feed these kids and clothe these kids. And and, and really, I, I resented all this. But you know, since I've been in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's turned this journey around to raising these nine children. We have nine children. And I said journey that I have really enjoyed because the program of AA and al and our team was in our home. And it just made a com- complete change. And it's pretty easy to say tonight that I enjoyed raising these kids because they're all gone now and none of them have come back, thank God. <laughs> but, you know, I, I can look back and, and I can see some of the things that happened. One of used to talk to me about what this drinking was doing to these children. And I tried many, many times to see if my drinking affected my children anyway. And I guess I took that inventory probably on a Monday morning after a terribly bad weekend. I'd be staring in that mirror in the bathroom trying to shave. Face would all be red and swollen and I'd get to dry heaves and I'd hang my head in that commode. And then I'd get to thinking about what Juanita talked about, about what this drinking was doing to these kids. And I always come up with the same answer, I don't know what the hell she's complaining about. You know, the kids got a roof over their head, and they got shoes on their feet, and there's food, food on the table. I'm the guy that's hurting the day. I'm the one that has to go out here and go to work and earn a few bucks so these kids got all these nice things. But You know, the night when I look back, I know what Wani was talking about when she talked about this drinking affecting these children. I can remember many times pulling in that driveway and see those two oldest daughters of mine now coming out the kitchen door and skipping down the porch and down the sidewalk to meet Dad, and he got off from work. I'd open that car door and I'd stumble up that driveway, you know, in a drunken stupor, and see those two little kids stop, look at their drunken father, see that smile drop off her face, and their little heads would hang, and they'd walk back in the house, get away from her drunken father. That hadn't happened to me in 41 years around this program of Alcoholics Anonymous. My children have never had to hang their heads and be ashamed of anything that I've done. You know, if that's all I got out of this program, it would be worth it. There's so so many other things that have happened. I used to come home maybe about 10.30 at night drinking and wanted to have these kids put to bed. And I I could never understand this, how she could put the kids to bed before they got to kiss their dad goodnight. I'd come in, you know, and I'd get these kids out of bed and I'd sit them down in front of that idiot box and turn it on, you know. I'd open them some Cokes, give them Cokes, pop them some popcorn, you know. And I'd open me a couple more beers and I'd drink them and I'd pass out. Wanted to get up and... We could put these kids back to bed again. And I, I never saw where this was affecting my ch- children in any way. Uh, I think the reason, I, I don't know if you all have done any nice things for your kids or not used are drinking, but I've done a lot of nice things for my kids, but i always done it for the wrong reason. I never did this because I loved these children. I did it so I'd get Juanita off my back. And the children would tell her, you let Dad alone. He, he's taking care of us, you know. And that, that's the reason I did it. I can remember shortly before I come in a AA, i was done at the tavern one day. We was drinking and some drunk coming over with a bunch of turtles. We cleaned turtles and we made up a great big pot of turtle soup that day. About 11.30 at night, I got to think about these six children man. I didn't know why any had fed them that day or not. I said, I better take some soup home. These kids might be hungry. So I took that soup home and I got these kids out of bed at 11.30 at night and set them down at the kitchen table. And I put that soup on the stove and I heated it up and I can't stand the smell of turtle soup, but this was a... Big deal that night. And I poured that soup out to the kids' plate and I said, Now eat. And they didn't want to eat that soup that night. And I think one reason they didn't, we had a little turtle worm in our living room. And I think the kids thought I'd cooked their turtles, but I said, You are going to eat it. It's good for you. And I got slapping the two oldest kids around that night and I made them eat that soup. And they got sick and threw up. And it was a mess that night. And you know, when I come through the next morning, I never once realized what I had done to these children. Alcohol never allowed me to think that way. Next morning, alcohol told me it was Juanita's fault. You know, she would kept her big mouth shut. The kids would have loved that soup and everything would have been fine. But I know know tonight that isn't true because Juanita was not even out in the kitchen that night. She stayed back in in her bedroom. That's where alcohol took me. I've got a a mother-in-law story, but... uh, one thing I used to do this mother-in-law, my mother-in-law used used to love to come over and pick up her grandchildren. She just loved to take them to her house for the weekend and maybe take them to a picture show or take them to the circus or whatever you know, may be going on. And I think one reason I hated my mother-in-law so bitterly, she was doing the very things for my children that I wanted to do, but I could never get around to doing it because alcohol always got in the way. A lot of times I'd come in there on Friday night and she'd be over at my house gathering up the kids for the weekend I'd come in be in that drunken stupor and I'd run her out of the house and tell her to get the hell out who do you think you are taking my children out of this house without my permission I wonder what these kids must have thought when they saw their drunken father run their grandmother out of the house and you know once again when I'd come to the next morning I never once ever thought about what I'd done to these children what I'd done to that mother-in-law that never crossed my mind alcohol never allowed me to think that way alcohol told me it was my mother-in-law's fault. If she had picked up the telephone and called me and asked for permission to have the children, I would have said yes and everything would have been fine. I always said I had the ability to be able to turn it around and blame somebody else. You know, this mother-in-law that, I really thought when I got in there, first come in there, before I got in there, I thought I had a mother-in-law problem, not a drinking problem, Uh, when we first got married my mother-in-law built an apartment for me in Juanita and she allowed us to move in that apartment never charged us a penny's rent you know, so we could get started in life and I never once ever thanked her for that because she built that apartment right next door to where she lived and she was over beginning to tell me what I should do and mostly what I shouldn't be doing so I knew why she built it close there and I began to resent that woman that resentment eventually grew to hatred, and I wound up one night with a shotgun in my hand, almost killing her. Uh, I was about, I worked for a bearing company, and I was a traveling salesman. And uh, My mother in law was in the real estate business. I think I was about 21 years old, about a year after we got married, and she offered to take me in that business as a partner. This is one time, Wani and I sat down and talked about something. Wani said, You can't possibly. Make this work, going into business with my mother. You all hate one another. You can't agree on anything. How are you going to stay in business? Well, at that, that time, I was interested in one thing. A God Almighty dollar. I knew with money in my pocket, I could buy happiness, peace of mind, the love of my wife, and respect of everybody in the community. I knew I could do this. I'll tell you here tonight, I could not do it with money in my pocket. I was very successful in the real estate business. I kept this other job that I had. I was working two jobs. Wani was having all these kids, and I don't know why she's doing all that. <laughs> and, well, I was working these two jobs, and uh, and when I in the real estate business, I, I specialized in selling taverns. It seemed to be the thing I knew best. And, uh, I, I'd done a pretty good job at it, I guess, but uh, uh, I went up the ladder fast, and things would begin to happen. Wani would begin to talk about divorce and uh, about these kids, how my drinking was affecting them, and I don't know if y'all ever talked about divorce around your house or not, but we we talked about it every week or so, and we talked about everybody else talks about the weather. You know, we talking about divorce, and uh, one of the, uh, was once again was talking about divorce, and uh, the deputy sheriff knocked on the door one night, and I lived in a little small community right outside of Louisville, and I knew the, the mayor of the town, and I'd helped get him elected, and all those things, you know, and 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 I'd been out of a, trouble with them for a long time. I didn't get any trouble, but uh, uh, the deputy sheriff knocked on my door one night, and he, he gave me some papers. And I was a smart aleck drunk. I just ripped them up and gave them back to him. I said, I don't want these. He said, Bob, you better read them more, I' you sober up. I said, the judge has already signed those papers. And uh, one day worked for an attorney. It was very easy for her to file a, a divorce on me. And I read those papers the next morning, and it mentioned on there that she wanted to uh, Uh, some child wanted alimony and to this day I can't remember how much alimony she wanted but I got down to that paragraph you know where it says child support and I read that one she wanted $40 a week for each child that we had and we had six children I wasn't too drunk to multiply six times 40 I could do that and what what it amounted to I I couldn't afford a divorce so I go down and talk to father about what I should do with this nutty woman I'm living with and uh, father agreed with me of course father and I were sitting down there having a highball together and Father had the same problem I did, but, but at any rate he, uh, he called one that morning and said, get down here I want to talk to you." And I thought, man, this is really this is going to work out great. you know I've got father on my side now. And one uh, I got down, she told father a little different story than what I'd been telling him. and uh, I listened to what she was saying and, uh, and I really wanted to make a change. I, I knew I was doing things I shouldn't be doing. I knew I was going to places I shouldn't be going. And I knew I was with people I shouldn't be with. And I really wanted to make a change and I wanted to be a better husband and a better father. But I could never do it because alcohol always got in the way. And one of your father one came up with a brilliant idea that I ought to take a pledge. And I glanced at it, I knew what the pledge was. I promised God I wouldn't touch alcohol in any farm for one year. And I thought, what is this? Hell it's nothing to it. You put the plug in the jug and you don't drink, it's that simple. Wasn't that simple for this alcoholic, I tell you? Because I wanted to drink every day and I couldn't drink. When I come home from work, Wani would gather those kids up and she'd put them out in the backyard or down the basement. Don't say anything, to upset dad. He'll go out here and start drinking again, you know. Probably the worst thing of all would be when I'd wake up in the morning. I'd roll over and look at Wani and my wife laying there next to me. And for six months, I started every morning this way. Now, I wasn't brave enough to say this out loud. But I looked at her and I said, think to myself, damn you, I hate you. I got to get up and I go to work today and I can't drink because you made me sign that pledge. You know, that's a, that's a tough way to live. I lasted six months on that pledge. And I don't know if one of you said something or the kid's done something, I don't know. But I went out and started drinking. And one of you said many, many times and now and on, thank God that I did. Because it relieved all that pressure that we'd been living under in that house. You know, after I was into you. Real, real estate business there for about four years. My mother in law offered to buy me out. and I thought this was a great deal because Wanda uh, used to run me down all the time. I'd be down to the tavern drinking, and uh, she'd come in there and she'd want some money. And I could never understand what she wanted money for. We only had, I think, six kids in. And, and she'd want $10. I'd give her $10 to get rid of her, you know, and she'd go out the door, and hell it wouldn't be, but a week later, she'd be back there wanting more money. And, and I used to say to her all the time, "What in the hell did you do with that ten I gave you last week, woman?" And i I think she's buying things like bread and milk and things that I really didn't think was too necessary. So my mother-in-law came up with a brilliant idea that uh, she, she'd buy me out of this business. And I thought about it for a while. I thought, "Man, this is going to work out great. You know, I can sit down at that tavern and play pinochle and drink beer all day long. And if and when one of ever catches up with me, you know, I can." Whip out that checkbook and give her $10. And, and I thought everybody would be happy, you know, about this. So I was 25 years old when I, we went into my mother in law's attorney's office and she had, they had the papers all made out. I knew what they were. I sold my half of that business to her. And then they got out there. I didn't pay attention to what I signed, I didn't care. And they got out the checkbook and I paid attention to that, what they was doing. They paid off all the bills they owed and then they wrote me out a check for, for my half of that business, what was left. Was seven dollars and eighty-five cents, and you don't get too drunk on seven dollars and eighty-five cents. I'll tell you that, that's some forty-five years ago. But uh, one reason that uh, she bought me out of that business is prior to this, my mother-in-law sat down one time. We would working out of her house, had a big front porch across her home, and, and in the living room we had our office, you know. So we talked about someday we're going to build a new office here. Uh, this was about a year before I sold her my half of the business, and uh, she made a mistake and was going to be gone on vacation for six or eight weeks, and she had no more pulled out that driveway, and I decided, you know, now's a good time to build that office. She's gone, you know, and I can get everything done, and we hired a contractor and pushed the front porch off my mother-in-law's house and built an office while she was gone. And she got back and seen that. She, she wasn't too happy about that situation, and that's just what put the company into bankruptcy and I had to sell, but... You know, she made a mistake after I sold her that half She still left my name on the checking account. And it wasn't all but a few months she found I was paying a few bills I shouldn't have been paying, you know. My name come off of that and things was beginning to close in. Uh, my, my brother plays an important part in my being here. My brother wound up on Skid Row and lived there for a number of years and uh, he walked into the central office in Louisville one day. He'd been on skid row, I think, about five years, and said he wanted some help. And uh, they took my brother to my mother and father's home and sobered him up. And back at that time, that was before uh, they had detox centers and the AAs come two by two and spent time with him and sobered him up. And it wasn't long, Norman was going to AA meetings. It wasn't long, Norman would stop by and tell me about these AA meetings. He used coming down where I drank all the time down at Wolford's Tavern. He'd come down there and sit down for an hour with me and tell me all about these meetings and about you people. God had his hands on Norman's shoulder when he talked with me. Because Norman believed in attraction without promotion. Norman never once ever said to me about my drinking. He never said I was drinking too much or I shouldn't be or I should be going day. AA. Norman always talked about what this program was doing in his life. You know, I was attracted to that. I listened to him because I thought it was a good thing for him because he needed help. And it wasn't wasn't much longer. And uh, Norman was sober eight months. And uh, Juanita began to talk to Norman about uh, my drinking, trying to get uh, him to take me to AA. And Norman said it doesn't work that way, that Bob will have to call me. And this is when Juanita started her planning and prodding. And Norman and I was going fishing for a couple of weeks down at Cumberland Lake. And one thought this would be a good time, you know, to start this. And she said, uh, you're going to go down there to fish on this fishing trip, and you're, you're going to wind up drinking, and you're going to get Norman drunk. And I loved my brother very much, even back when he was on Skid Row, especially after he got in AA. And I said, no, I would never do anything to cause Norman to start, to start drinking. I said, I even went out and talked to him, and I told him while we're down there that I may drink a beer or two. And he assured me it would not bother him as long as he didn't drink it. And she said, yeah, but you're going to say something that may cause him to start drinking. If you love Norman like you say you do, what you ought to do is go to one of those AA meetings with him, and maybe you can find out something about this alcoholism, and you can help Norman stay sober. <laughs> now, you've got to be pretty rum-dum to fall for something like this, you know but i said well you know if it helped him i wouldn't mind going she said you'll have to call him i get on the phone call norman say can i go to one of those meetings with you man he was delighted he thought i wanted some help <laughs> and, and off to a meeting we went we rode out to a little town about 30 miles from louisville and these three guys that was with us they were talking and i don't know what they were talking about Anyway, we got that meeting, and they didn't have a speaker that night. They played a tape of some speaker from the Southeastern Conference. And it would not, that did not impress me, and I would not have been impressed if Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob would have been, both been at that meeting. It didn't, wouldn't have meant anything to me. Anyway, I, I got back that night, and I shook my finger in one of his face. I said, you'll never take another night out of my life. There's not a thing I can do to help Norman stay sober. He'd been sober eight months, and he didn't need my help. And I went out and got drunk that night. One day, I called Norman the next day and said, Bob didn't get a whole lot out of that meeting last night, but he said he'd like to go with you Friday night. <laughs> and Norman said he did. <laughs> I didn't know I said I wanted to go, but she still had that divorce hand on my head. So a meeting we went on Friday night, out the old Pleasure Edge group, and they got A, a and Al-Anon both there. And at that meeting, my wife was introduced to the program of Al-Anon. And thank God for the program of Al-Anon. I I don't know if your spouse attends Al-Anon or not, but if you've got any intentions of staying sober, I would very much encourage you to get your spouse to go to Al-Anon. If you've got any intentions of drinking, then leave well enough alone. Don't don't get them in there. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to tell you some of the things that Juanita did after she found out about this Al-Anon. She found out about that release with love. And... uh, I never had any problems for her. She went in now and on. My mother-in-law and Wani took care of everything, my bad checks or whatever trouble I got into. They bought me out of it, and, and I didn't really have any problems. I think Wani went a little far with some of the things she did in now and on, but thank God that she did them. I'll never forget the credit manager over at the department store. We used to buy a lot of the kids clothes. at Mrs. Snyder, I remember her name very well because she used to call every month. That woman was always wanting money from us. I think it's because we was charging you things there and wasn't paying, you know. But we used to come up with some excuse all the time before Al-Anon. We'd tell you, one of the kids is sick. We'll double up next month. You know all the excuses you come up with. Not after Al-Anon, one he wouldn't lie to her anymore. She'd say, you have to talk to Mr. Wessel about the bills. He's down at Wolfers Tavern. She gave her the phone number. Said, you can catch him down there. And that phone would ring. And... You try to explain to Mrs. Snyder why you can't send her $10 in front of your buddies, you know, and still act like a big shot. I tell you, it gets to be a problem. And God, I resented things like that. And uh, This first job that I had, my uh, boss's brother, who was a member of AA, called me one Friday night and told me I'd been fired from that job. But this time I'd already lost that real estate business, and I had gone into another business. That I went into the insurance business, and... I didn't invite my mother-in-law as a partner in this business, but thank God she took care of me for many years. But uh, my boss's brother told me I'd been fired. And uh, I got to thinking that night about my seven children. got to think about my responsibilities as a father and my responsibilities as a, as a husband. And I was crying crocodile tears to George about this job. I told him I needed the job. I'd already lost that real estate business. And he said, let, let me talk to my brother and see what I can do for you, Bob. It wasn't 15 minutes. It seemed like 15 days before George called me back. But he said, Bob, everything is fine. You come on into work Monday morning. I've got this all straightened out for you. And uh, to me, this is chronic alcoholism. I didn't drink anything at Friday night or Saturday or Sunday. I was too scared to drink. I started in the office Monday morning. I got about a half-winter and I got to thinking. Thinking's bad for this alcoholic. I knew what my boss was going to say. I I could have had it written down for him. Anyway, I I was too scared to face him without a drink. I stopped in and had a drink that day, and I don't know how much I drank. But later that day, I walked into the office, walked up to my boss's desk. I took the keys to the office out of my pocket. I threw them on his desk, and I said, You keep your damn job. I don't need it. And this man hadn't opened his mouth. And I, I turned around and walked out. It was very easy to quit that job that day. Because I had to continue with that drinking. You know, after I made those few AA meetings, I decided I was not an alcoholic. I could have proved to anybody in black and white why I wasn't an alcoholic. I was 28 years old, and at this time I was still working for my mother-in-law. I had this business, I had this job, and I could prove to anyone in black and white I wasn't an alcoholic. And thank God tonight I don't want to prove anything to anyone. I'm Bob Wessel. I'm an alcoholic just like I am. If you like me, that's fine. If you don't like me, that's okay, because I'm pretty comfortable the way things are in my life today. Well, After those first few meetings, I set out to prove to all of you that I was different. And I thought that I was. I heard talks from this podium, same as I'm doing tonight, about what happened to people. And I knew those things would never happen to me. Now, if anyone would have told me, Bob, in the next two and a half years, you're going to lose completely out on that real estate business. You're going to lose that insurance business. You're going to lose that house. And that's all it was, a house that one in 97 kids existed in. It wasn't a home as it is today. You're going to lose that, that job. You're going to lose those automobiles. bills. You're going to lose that money in the bank. And you're going to wind up with a shotgun in your hand, almost killing your children, your wife, and your mother-in-law. If anyone would have told me that, These things would happen. You know what I would have said? I wouldn't let any one of these things happen. I'd quit drinking first. But always things did happen. Always things did happen. I lost a job, as I already told you about. The only thing I'd done right in the next two and a half years, I kept going to AA meetings. I'll never forget a gal by the name of Lil Nylan. Lil's going on to the big meeting now. Every Friday night, out at that Pleasant Ridge group, that girl would get me off at, after the meeting. And she'd put her arms around me and she'd hug me and she, she'd hold me. She said, Bob, you keep coming back. This thing will work for you. Thank God Lil never said, Bob, you know you're drinking tonight. When you make your mind you want to sober up, you come on back to AA then. You know what I would have told Lil. I would have told her what she could have done with her at AA. And I drank myself to death. You know, I lost that house, and God. One day and I lived in this house for I don't know how many years, and my mother-in-law. Uh, By this time, we hated one another bitterly. We couldn't, we couldn't stand in a room five minutes together, and uh, we was getting behind on our house payments on our house. And if you don't think this is insanity, I talked my mother-in-law into buying a big house, and we'd all move in together. Now. And, you know, I really thought this thing would work. My mother-in-law had been paying most of the bills. And I figured, you know, if we move in together, hell, she would pay them all, you know. And, uh, and what little money I was making, you know, I'd be able to drink do what I wanted to do. And I thought that would all work out fine. But, you know, my mother-in-law got sicker in three months living with me. One I did in 15 years. And she took off. and uh, I lost those automobiles. I lost that money we had in the bank. And I was unemployable for about 18 months. I, di- I didn't work. And <clears throat> at night, uh, I want to tell you about my last drunk. I'd gone to Cumberland Lake once again. I loved to fish. And I was down there for a couple of weeks. And I wasn't doing much too much fishing, I was mostly drinking. And, you know, after I got into AA, I told you I was a beer drinker. And uh, after I got into AA, uh, I found out about uh, this vodka that you can't smell, a buddy in AA who went back to drinking told me about it. And, and you know, I do not want to take a chance whether you could smell it or not. So uh, I drank vodka all the time, you know, and I'd pull up to a meeting, you know, such as this, and I'd reach over and grab that half pint, you know, and take a couple chugs off of it. It was a little bit easier to hide a half pint than it was a case of beer, you know, after you get in AA. And I didn't know anybody knew I was drinking. and Also, I, I didn't want to take a chance whether you could smell it or not. So I chewed that chlorates, and I'd reach over and take that half pint out and under the seat and take a couple of chugs off of it. And then I'd reach over and grab a whole pack of chlorets and dump them in. And in the door I'd come, and my first sponsor used to say all the time, you saw me come through that door and you saw that green foam run out of my mouth, you know what kind of shape I was in. <laughs> and that's the way I was for two and a half years. I had no idea that anyone knew I was drinking. And uh, I'll tell you. <laughs> but uh, this last drunk that I was on said I'd done Cumberland Lake for a couple of weeks. And I come back and I found I wasn't too welcome at, at my house. So one of his mother, it was her house, and she had had all the locks changed on it. And, and I come back that Friday and she didn't offer me a key. She told me to get off her property and stay off. If I ever come back, she was going to have me arrested. So I, to make any decision, I, I knew where you had to make those decisions. I went to the tavern that day to decide what to do about this situation. I drank beer that entire day, and uh, I come back that night, it was about 7.30, and I I decided I was drunk enough, and she can't lock me out of my house, who she thinks she is, you know. And my key still didn't fit the lock, so I just knocked the door down to show her how tough I was. And uh, This happened about 7.30 at night. One is it was was on a Friday night, she was getting dressed to go to her Al-Anon meeting. This would have happened 30 minutes later. Juanita would not have been home to call AA for me. But this mother-in-law ordered me off, and she gave me one more chance. She said, the police are coming. If you don't get out of here, you're going to get arrested. I said, that's a fine thing to do. Have your son-in-law arrested. Who's going to feed these seven kids? And she let me know who had been feeding them the last three or four years, I'll tell you. and uh, She'd called those police, and uh, I decided I was going to show her I went down to the basement and got my shotgun. It's a 12-gauge Browning automatic. I remember picking up two full boxes of shells, and I don't know what I was going to do with two boxes of shells. But I remember putting three shells in that gun. I'd hear that chamber slamming right now. The next thing I vaguely remember, when I stumbled up that stairway swinging that gun around, and I was a drunken, raving maniac that night. I was looking for this mother-in-law, and thank God we didn't come face-to-face that night. She had gone into her room to get her gun. She was going to get rid of the problem that night. <laughs> Uh, I still went on up the stairway that night and The only thing I can remember about this Is waving that gun around And I can remember some kids running and screaming To get away from me And I went on up in the attic It was a warm November night And I was sitting up in that attic And it was warm up there It was comfortable And there was no one up there bothering me And, I'm, and I always felt this way you know. That night I felt that way you know, This isn't the alcohol it's people that cause me problems. And I'm sure every alcoholic in this room has felt that way. It's people. It's not the, not the drinking. And the next thing I vaguely remember, and that's all I remember about this, is somebody in a blue uniform. And one, he said, I told that man I was going to blow his head off with that shotgun if he came up that stairway. And he didn't want any part of that. He didn't. I could see him. And he, he couldn't see me up there. It was dark. and Well, I couldn't really see him either. Hell, I was so drunk. And... Uh, now, I normally didn't talk to policemen that way. And they called out the riot squad that night, and a lot of miracles took place that night. This happened about 7:30. One of them had not gone to her Al-Anon meeting yet. She got on the telephone. She called over the Pleasant Ridge group. Telephone's locked up over. You can't get to it. It's in the pastor's office. But that night, the women of the sewing circle was meeting, and they, they met where Almonnies normally meet. And the pastor come over. And he had his office open. Where, so Al and I would have a place to meet that night the answer for my brother was at the meeting that night he and Bill and two other AA members come over a priest, Father Mack, and I had gone to school with and he had an alcoholic in his parish and he'd come over to the A meeting that night to find out something about alcoholism and uh, he'd come over and they talked the police into leaving and I didn't know any of this was going on they had search lights on the building and they was going to shoot tear gas up my dad and get me out of there the only reason they couldn't is they didn't know where our children were that night and uh, I, I didn't know any of this was going on they talked the police into leaving and uh, they went in got my mother-in-law's gun took it away from her and put her to bed and my brother come up and, and Bill come up and talked me into giving up the shotgun I wasn't mad at anybody that mother-in-law I gave him the gun and we went out that night and I began to pour a little coffee down me and I began to come to just a little bit and I went back that same old way of thinking I'd done a thousand times before. It wasn't my fault this happened. My mother in law called the police. If she hadn't done this, none of this would have happened. And, you know, I'd been around AA for two and a half years at that time. And uh, I say around, that's all that it was around AA. And uh, they took me out to the hospital that night. They, they told me if I got back out on the streets, I was going to get arrested. So I said, Well, I'll go for one night. And this was a Psychiatric wards, what it was, and uh, I, I, I wasn't going to go to bed that night. I thought I'd check out early in the morning, and but they gave me a shot and put me to bed. Next morning I went down to check out and, and go down the hallway quite a piece. You get to the doors down there that don't have any doorknobs on them, and man, I realized where I was. And I swore then. I said, the last thing I'll do, I'll, I'll get even with these damn guys putting me in here. But God works in strange ways in this program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I've been around AA two and a half years. A lot of AA people come to that hospital to see me, and thank God that they did. I'll never forget my sponsor walking in. And, you know, I sat in that hospital at night in the dark. I wouldn't even burn their lights. And, you know, with an attitude like that, you ought to die drunk. But Bill come in, he had a few choice words to say to me that I can't repeat in this podium. And I lied to Bill. I knew what he wanted to hear. I'd been around for two and a half years. And I told him I'm coming back to AA, and all these other AA people come to see me. I told them what they wanted to hear, and what I really thought in my heart that weekend was get the hell out of here and leave me alone. I don't need your help. I can handle this myself. But as I said God works in strange ways in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, not a one of my drinking buddies come to that hospital to see me. And one of these guys owned the tavern that I drank at. And he is in AA and sober today. The other two guys, the three that I run around with, these three guys was more important than my family. They really were to me. We lived and breathed and went together, and it was just, we was a team. They didn't come to that hospital to see me, and I know tonight why they didn't. If they'd come to that hospital to see me, would have given me the very encouragement that I needed to take another drink. If I can do that, that's no problem at all. But I don't know if i got another recovery. That's terribly important to me. So when I got out of the hospital, only lasted three days. Early. I run the psychiatrist out of the room, told him what he could do with his books. And anyway, he called my wife the next day and said, I'm afraid your husband would die a hopeless drunk. He doesn't want any help. And I said, thank God the people in the A don't believe that. They don't care whether you want help or not. They, they, they come to offer it. If you wanted it, it's there. And so... When I got out of the hospital, I went to the only place I knew to go to. I went down to that tavern and decided what to do about this situation. They turned me loose in three days. I sat on that bar stool that morning. I sat there for just a minute. And I got to thinking about UAA people. I got to thinking about Bill coming to that hospital to see me. I got to thinking about, why didn't my drinking buddies come? And I got up off that bar stool, and I went and talked to Bill, my sponsor, that day. And Bill told me a lot about the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. He told me about honesty and gratitude and open-mindedness, willingness, action. He talked about a higher power. He called God, and I do too. Bill said, Bob, look what's happened to you over the last two and a half years around this program. He said, why don't you really get in this thing and see if you don't like it for six or eight weeks. And he said, if you don't like it, they'll still be selling that stuff, and you, you can go on back. And that's what I thought. You know, man, in six weeks, I can get my job back, get my mother off my back, get one in the kids back, you know, and... And then i can go back to this successful drinking I'd been doing. That's what I thought on the 9th of November, 1962, and I've not had a drink of alcohol since that time. That's been a little bit over 41 years ago, and I like to talk about my length of sobriety. I'm not bragging about it, but I am quite proud of being sober 41 years. I had 41 years on the 9th of November. And a lot of times, especially if i got a new man around, taking him to meeting and I'll be telling him, you know, about forty-one years and all this. You know, I'm wanting to walk up. You know, and she's got forty-four years in the program now, on she? Just celebrated forty-four years last Monday, and she'll tell this new man, "Yeah, he's got forty-one years, but if he'd have listened to me, he'd have forty-four years." You know. <laughs> so, you know, around this program, no matter what kind of story you're telling, somebody's going to top it. You know it. Uh, but it's been a it's been a, just a, a a tremendous journey. We 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 have nine children and uh, eighteen grandchildren, and uh, we've got the in-laws that Juanita says many many times. You know, if, if if we'd have picked them out, it'd been just what we wanted. You know, they, they just they just fall right in. They're like our own kids. They really are. Uh, we have a daughter who has been sober. Ten years now, I think. We used to talk a lot around AA a- and l and on, and we'd talk about what fortunate people we are because none of our children ever took a drink. None of them ever had a problem, but we had to change that story, i tell you. Uh, we was out in California, and we found out our daughter had gone into D.T., and she was in the hospital, and they asked us to come back, and we said she's in good hands if she's at the hospital, and I think we could do, so we went on with our vacation stayed there. and. We got back. She stayed in AA for three months, and uh, uh, she graduated. But she is still sober today. She stays in contact with a lot of AA people and reads the book. She just didn't go to meetings, and I guess that's okay for her. I don't know. She's working in the business with us now. She's very, very happy and contented. And uh, then I've got a son who's been sober 16 months now. And uh, I really don't think he's an alcoholic, but he thinks so, and that's all that's important. Her, He certainly didn't drink like me. Uh, I know that. Uh, but uh, he's sober, and uh, we've got a daughter that needs to be here. We've got a daughter that needs to be here. Uh, she's still out there waddling around that pond and drinking, and she's been on drugs and uh, just all kinds of problems. She uh, got into some financial trouble. She was a ha- part owner of the company, uh, the insurance agency. Uh, four of my children, I took them in and sold them stock in the company and uh, they're all running it now but uh, uh missy got on this cocaine and we found out there was uh about 70,000 dollars missing out of the out of the checking account and we found out what was going on and uh missy had to sell her stock to uh stay in the company to pay this uh these debts back and uh we, we let her work there and she'd been there 23 years and uh uh, and it's tough on her, I know. That's not no excuse for drinking. Uh, her, where she used to be a part owner, her uh, brothers and sisters now are her supervisor. And, uh, and and it's tough on her, I know, but that's no excuse for uh, for drinking. And uh, she's had all kinds of opportunities to hit bottom. Uh, she had a daughter that died with instant death syndrome. And she's had just all kinds of problems. And the problem that I have with this... I see this girl every day. She comes in the office, you know, and the shape she's in. Sometimes it's uh, I just wish I could do something. Sometimes people say, "Why don't you do something?" And I, I say, "Well, um, someday, whenever she wants some help, you, someone else will be there. May to help her. It won't be me. Uh, I know that." Yeah, but I, I think in the last six months, she's grown up a whole lot, and she has a problem problem with her brothers and sisters in the business, and uh, just this past monday uh, she resigned from the company gave us 2 weeks notice and after being there 23 years and uh, uh, it was hard at first to take this but i think that all in all it's going to be good for her she's going to work for another agency and and that's all fine uh, I, we've overlooked a lot of things uh, with her drinking and uh, i think she'll have to face up to her own responsibilities and I, I, i'm hoping that this is the key, the thing that's going to drive her into a right now. Uh, I want to tell you about the, uh, these uh, grandchildren. What, what a what a what a great journey that's been with these grandkids. Uh, uh, I had the opportunity to see a grandson born into this world, and I don't know if any of you here have ever, any of you men have ever seen a child born into this world. If you haven't, you ever get the opportunity to. Please take advantage of it. Mary Rose, our uh, next to the youngest, invited Wani and I both into the into the delivery room. See this child born, and you uh, know I never got to experience any of this with my children. Uh, back in those days, they didn't allow the uh, father into the delivery room. In fact, when two of my children was born, they didn't allow me in the hospital. They run me out. But I, I got to see this. Uh, grandson born into this world. And I will never forget that. It scared me to death. i would never experienced anything like that. Uh, When that that baby, that boy was crowned and he popped out and the the doctor grabbed him. I thought he missed him at first, but he got him and took him over and cleaned him up. It wasn't just in a few minutes had that boy cleaned up and we were able to hold him in our arms. And you you don't get any closer to God than that to, to see a baby born into this world. And I've got another, my second oldest daughter never married, Pam, and uh, Pam come out to see us. I always was concerned about Pam's happiness. I thought she needed a husband to be happy, but she didn't think so. She dates guys, and if they get too serious, she backs off. She wants to be single. She came out to see us here about uh, ten years ago. Said she wanted to adopt a baby. And she needed our permission because she's a single mother. And I thought about it for a minute. I said, hell, I I didn't say this to her. I thought, why don't you get married and do it like Juan and I did it, you know? Uh, So we agreed, we signed, and she was going over to Paraguay to adopt a Guarani Indian baby, a little girl. And uh, they said they'd be gone about two weeks. Juan went with Pam, and uh, they get you over, they don't leave you out very easy. About seven weeks later, uh, they got back. And I got. to meet Emily, five-month-old granny Indian baby. Got that black hair and those black eyes, you know, and that smile that goes from ear to ear, you know. And I met her when she was five months old. And when she was 18 months old, I got the opportunity to take Pam, her mother, and Emily to Washington, D.C. We was up there in our motorhome, and it's close quarters, of course, in motor motorhome, and I, we really got to know one another. And We was out shopping one day, all four of us, and uh, Emily had messed in her diaper. And Pam said she's going to take her back to the motorhome, clean her up. I said, No, y'all go home and you're shopping, you let me do this. And I didn't do that for my own children. And I took her back to the motor home and cleaned her up. And we didn't go back to shopping. We laid down on the couch. And she put her arms around me, and I put my arms around her. And we laid there and we bonded that day. You know, I never got this opportunity to bond with any of my own children. I was either too drunk, or after I was in that A, I was too busy working, too busy going to A, to realize what was going on in my own home. But you know, God never takes anything away from us, and you don't have always something in return to give us. And I got the bomb of this little girl. She's now ten years old, and uh, one of them said, "I can't have any favors." And I don't, but I may be a little partial to Emily. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's, it's, these forty-one years around this program has been tremendous. You know, my sponsor died. First sponsor died when I was when he was when I was sober twenty-one years. Bill died with thirty-eight years of sobriety, and I'm sure none of you here know, knew Bill Wallace. You may have. He may have talked in this area. I don't know, but uh, I went in every day to see Bill when he was sick. Bill had cancer, and the day before Bill died. He made me promise him that when he died that I'd get another sponsor. And I got the opportunity to talk to Bill. I told him I would get another sponsor. and Bill told me that day what I had meant to him. And I didn't know that I meant anything to Bill. Bill meant everything to me because Bill showed me this way of life. Bill took Juan in and myself. We, he took our hand and he walked with us through this journey. Bill never once ever got behind me and pushed me. He never got ahead of me and pulled me anywhere. Bill would just walked right with us. That's the kind of a sponsor he was. And uh, I told Bill that I I would get a sponsor. Bill told me how important I was in his life. You know, Bill had been sober 38 years, and uh, many times I'd been in telling Bill about all my problems, about what Juan is doing and what she shouldn't be doing, and all these things, you know, it goes on in the early days of sobriety. And Bill told me, he said, Bob, you've been a sponsor to me too. He said, so many times you come in to talk to me about what was wrong in your life, you allowed me to share my problems with you too. And I didn't even know Bill was doing this. And he said, it's, he said that's the reason sponsorship is so important. So I told Bill I would get a sponsor. And uh, Bill died, and I went around AA looking for a sponsor It looked just like Bill, someone with 38 years of sobriety. Bill was, Bill was a little short guy real heavy set had a big red nose you can best describe Bill as with 38 years of sobriety and he still looked drunk. That's exactly <laughs> the way Bill looked but I looked around aA and I couldn't find anybody. that looked like Bill and I wasn't supposed to and I went without a sponsor for about eight months and I'd, I'd been sober 21 years at this time and you know a lot of strange things begin to happen. The whole world, and especially the people around the A, they begin to get out of step. They, they just they wasn't just in the same rhythm that I was in. And and I kept going to meetings. I never stopped going to meetings. I've never done that. That's one thing I've done right for the 41 years I've been sober in this program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I go to a lot of meetings. I make four or five meetings every week. And I did when I come in, and I'm still doing it today. And it worked then. It'll, it'll work now. So I, I believe that. But... Uh, uh, hope everybody was getting out of step, you know. And uh, we was down at Jekyll Island. And Tom, my sponsor, is with me tonight. He was at that convention. Juan and I talked down there. I think Tom was sober. I can't even remember. Eight years at that time or something. And Tom and I have a lot in common. We got talking. And I asked Tom to be my sponsor. I said, oh, I don't need anybody with 38 years of sobriety. Oh, I want someone I can talk to on a one-to-one basis. And Tom has been a, a good sponsor with me. Tom and I share a lot together. We go to a lot of places together. And I kind of wish he wasn't here tonight because I could have gave you that other version I had all prepared. But I thought it best that I do it this way. Uh, And, uh, you know, Tom is uh, not like Bill was. He's not supposed to be. There's no two of us alike. Uh, Bill was like a father to me. He was a little bit older than I was, of course. and, uh, And Tom's like a brother to me. And it's it's been been a great journey over these years. There's been so many wonderful things that have happened in this probably probably one of the most important things other than my sobriety. It's turned this house into a home. It, it, our kids are in and out, and thank God when they come back they don't stay. You know they're they're going on, but uh, uh, they all have keys to our our home, and they come in, and uh, they maybe some of them are there now. I don't know. Uh, but uh, it's, a, it's a great journey just a great, great journey uh, I want to close with something my first sponsor asked me to do and I've done this for over these 41 years now Bill asked me when I come back to AA he said Bob, what I want you to do he said every morning I want you to ask God to help you stay away from that first drink today And I've done that. I have not missed a morning. I don't ask God to help me through that day stay awake and drink? Because I know, even though I've got 41 years of sobriety, I'm just as close to taking a drink as anyone else. And if I don't go to meetings and treat my disease, I will return to drinking. I am an alcoholic, and the normal thing for me to do is drink if I don't treat this disease. So I ask God to help me every morning, and He's helped me over these 41 years also ask God to help me accept what He's going to give me today. I don't always do so good with that one. I I do pretty good when I get what I want. But but you know, if I don't get what I want, I can very quickly fall back in that old way of thinking, you know. And I have to talk to my sponsor. I have to talk to people in AA. And I take an active part in my home group. It's a 31W group in Louisville, Kentucky. We meet on Monday night. If you're ever in Louisville, please give us a call so we can get you to that meeting. Uh, I take part in this group. I chair meetings and I help put out the literature, put, put everything in the way, and do whatever I can do. I have a sponsor and I sponsor people. And when I lay my head on that pillow tonight, and I've done this, Bill asked me to do this, is to thank God for what He's given me that day. And Bill said, always said, I asked Bill one time about working with alcoholics and about how your day's been. I said, how do you know it's been what you want it to be and it's been a good day? He said, when you lay your head on that pillow at night, if you're comfortable, you've done everything you can possibly do. He said, if you're working with a drunk and you're uncomfortable, you better get up and call him. Something's wrong. And So when I lay my head on that pillow tonight, I'll thank God for what he's given me. He's given me, he's given me my life back is what he's given me. That's what the AA program offers us is a new way of life. And he's given me a wife that's put up with me, especially with during my drinking days. And we have a great life together now. One is very active in Al-Anon. And, uh, another thing that we've done, I think, over the years has really helped us, we've always belonged to a home group that has AA, Al-Anon, and al in it. Our kids have grown up in this. And, you know, on Monday night, we get in that car together. We go out and we eat. It's kind of like a date every Monday night. We go out and well, we go out and eat almost every night. She don't cook anymore, but <laughs> it's, it's Mon- Oh, we got a beautiful kitchen. It's never been used. It ought to be. But <laughs> on it's Monday night, it's like a date. We go out and we eat and, and take the one car. We go together, you know, and we go to the meeting together and we come home. And it's 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 just it's it's a wonderful way of life. And I want to thank you people for inviting Juanita and I up here and to share with you. And I especially want to thank you for the life you've given Juanita and I. It's just been a tremendous, tremendous journey. Thank you very much.